Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of BSN Denver, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. And we roll. McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Episode 7, coming to you live from 6-0 Studios at 6-0 Strength and Fitness, Colorado's premier training facility. My name is Matt McChesney. Welcome to Episode 7 of McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Remember, you can download the show on iTunes and subscribe. And uh, every time a new show comes up, it'll pop up off your on your iTunes platform or whatever platform you use for podcasting and you'll be able to get mcchesney unchained whenever you want uh, all the past episodes are up on there the phil Lindsay interview the interview with coach shiverini from cu on friday the interview with cliff kingsbury who coached both case keenum and pat mahomes we're obviously going to talk about that and the fiasco last night on monday night football what a what a fucking football game that was um <clears throat> it's going to be a hell of a show Last night was a touch depressing, uh, to say the least, but uh, there's a lot of good that can come out of it as well. You know, at the beginning of the year, I picked the Broncos to go 11-5, and five, and I had them losing at Baltimore and losing to Kansas City at home on Monday night and still being an 11-5 and five football team. So everybody that's panicking today, uh, try and relax a little bit. I think that Pat Mahomes just might be really special. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start a little bit differently today. We're going to do the NFL and the Broncos first uh, and foremost, and then wrap with the Colorado Buffaloes and their great win in Folsom on Friday night against the hated UCLA Bruins and talk about college football as a whole and whatnot. So right off the bat, uh, we'll get straight into it. The NFL wrap on McChesney Unchained is brought to you by uh, Kyle Turley and NeuroXPF. Go to NeuroXPF.com and check out the product. It's an incredibly uh, good CBD-based recovery product that is the future of medicine and football, in my opinion. It's a product I take every day. Uh, I love the tinctures. I love the the uh, NeuroXPF drink that you take every morning. Gets me started mentally prepared for the day. And physically feeling great as it's a a way to smash some of the inflammation in your body, the lactic acid, break that down. CBD is a miracle medicine, and I highly recommend that everybody check out NeuroXPF.com. We sell it down here at 6-0 on the shelf. And if you go online at NeuroXPF.com uh, and type in the promo code 6015, you'll get 15% off any and all of your purchases and then remember you can come down here to six zero strength uh, at 7101 south fulton avenue and centennial in the warehouses and pick up some uh off the shelf as we're the only place that sells neuro xpf so neuroxpf.com brings you the nfl wrap let's get straight into it um right off the bat man i'm going to talk about the texans 
and the Colts. I could give a damn about the entire football game. It is what it is. The fourth down call that Frank Reich made to go and try and win the ball game. I love it. Do I like losing? No. Do I think that going for it on your own 34 is a good thing? Not usually. Do I love the huge nuts that Reich has? I love them. Love them. Remember, this is the same guy who led the biggest comeback in college football history in Maryland and the biggest comeback in pro football history in the playoff game against the Oilers when, we, when he was in Buffalo as the backup to the great Jim Kelly. This guy does not give a shit. Like he, he's going to go for it. He's going to play with his, you know, his nuts hanging out there. And that's the kind of coach I want to play for, man. You know, he was in Philadelphia last year. Doug Peterson obviously wore, uh, you know, wore off on him. But I was watching uh, Get Up yesterday on ESPN, and Mike Greenberg was on there talking about how a tie is better than a win, and NFL coaches need to understand this. And, yeah, on, a, on the win and loss chart, it may be. And it might help you get into the playoffs if you have a tie. But as a competitor and as a vested NFL veteran, a guy who played for six years on both sides of the ball, Tying is for pussies. I hate it. It's fucking lame. And it ruins the game. I respect the shit out of the Colts and what Frank Reich did. I love the fact that Luck and all the players stood up for their coach afterwards. And that's the kind of guy I want to play for. And if you're trying to establish a culture, that's what you. Th- those are little things that you can build on even though they lost. So Tennessee, or Tennessee, Houston has been severely underachieving this year. We'll see if this jump starts them. They have too much talent to be one and three. Uh, J.J. Watt is on a mission again. Clowney played really well. Watson played really well. And they got gifted a victory. So hopefully they can turn and run with it. I thought they would be a lot better than they are. The AFC South is stacked. Um, so that's that. I love going forward on fourth down, especially when you're tied and, you know, you're looking at a, you're looking at having a tie as well. The 10-minute overtime period in the NFL really – is backfiring in my opinion. They either need to have 10-minute periods or just go until someone wins. That's the way that I think it should be, but what do I know? Uh, The next game I want to talk about here is uh, the Bears absolutely demolishing Tampa Bay. Now, it's not so much what Tampa Bay did, it's what Chicago did. I mean, they went out and got Mac. Khalil Mack might be be the trade of the century, honestly. It might be the biggest get – as either a free agent or a trade since Reggie White, maybe. Um, Neil Smith, that kind of get, where you get a guy who can come in and change the fortunes. He's made that defense good to great. He's an absolute stud. He's all over the field. He's unblockable one-on-one. And honestly, if you don't chip him or slide protect to him, he's going to destroy the game. Um, That combined with very sketchy offensive line play at the tackle position for Tampa Bay was another nightmare. But Mitchell Trubisky threw six touchdowns against maybe the worst secondary in football, but at the same time, they were pretty damn good the first three weeks. Well, not really. They were giving up a ton of yards, so maybe they are that bad in the secondary. Uh, Tampa Bay's front seven is pretty good with Levante David and McCoy, and they went and got Bo Allen from the, the Eagles. They got some dude, JPP, but their secondary is horrendous, and the Bears tore it up. Now, the Khalil Mack thing is awesome. The Bears got better when they got 52, and they're going to continue to get better, and they may be the best team top to bottom in the division. But they've got the worst quarterback. And I know he just threw six touchdowns, but pump your brakes. Uh, Trubiscuits is not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Matt Stafford. He's not even Kirk Cousins. So 
although I'm very excited for Chicago and I like it when they're good and I, I think that the Mac trade was huge, I don't I'm not just going to sit here and beat the fucking drum because they have six touchdowns against Tampa Bay. Good job. Um, Tampa Bay is not a very good defensive secondary, and you tore them up, and you should have. And you know what? Dirk Cutter, if you think you should be fired, um, well, I might have to agree with you. Not going to lie. If you get up there and say they should fire me, well, maybe they should listen. Maybe they should fire you. You're going back to Jameis Winston, and maybe that's the right call. Maybe it's not. I personally think Jameis is a total slapdick and a guy who doesn't respect his opportunity and never did. Uh, I can't believe that they're just handing the reins back to him, even though Fitzmagic, you know, he's, he's, he's cooled off a little bit, but he's still, I'd still rather, as a player, I'd rather roll with Fitzpatrick than Jameis Winston. Just handing the job back to Jameis like this is not the correct way to tell him that he's serving out of punishment. I know he just served a suspension, but now he should serve the punishment part and sit and earn his job back, not just hand it to him right when he walks back in the door, regardless of how well Fitzpatrick has been playing, and just say, oh, well, Fitzpatrick had a bad half, so we went to Jameis. Come on, that's a cop-out. The the reason you went to Jameis is because you're scared to lose your job, Dirk Cutter. And honestly, the going to Jameis is going to get you fired. So... Careful what you wish for. Uh, Tampa Bay's got to figure it out. They have a bye week. Uh, I know that Ryan Jensen and the Bucks are looking forward to that at 2-2. Two and two. All right, the next one. Titans and Eagles playing overtime thriller. Uh, Vrabel takes the field goal team off the field, which I love. Even if it means they lose, I don't care. I love it. Uh, they convert. They can convert a couple of fourth downs in that game. They converted in the red zone to win the game on the throw to to uh, the big receiver uh, that they drafted in the first round from Western Michigan. Uh, what's his name? Corey something. The kid's a, kid's a big stud. He's a big target, and he high-pointed the ball well. Uh, they did a good job of of uh, Max protecting and making sure that all the all the pass rushers were taken care of. Derek Barnett was getting shipped in that game like a madman. They were just hammering him off the edge. And, you know, Philadelphia is getting everybody's best shot right now. They got Tampa's best shot. They got Tennessee's best shot. And they're going to have to figure out who they are. They're 2-2 two and two as well. So the defending champs have t- taken it on the chin a couple of times. And that's what the NFL is, man. That's why I'm not distraught about the Bronco outcome last night. And if anything, I'm, I, I think that they can build off of this, honestly. Um, but going full circle here, talking about Philadelphia, they've got some things to figure out. They got pretty comfortable with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz has come in. He's got some rust, but they'll be fine. Philadelphia is still the most talented team in that division and maybe in the NFC. So we'll see what happens with the Eagles, but the Titans, you know, change a uniform and the mindset's still the same. Mike Vrabel came in and he's got a real tough, hard nosed, competitive you know, no bullshit kind of attitude, which I love. Kind of guy I love playing for. You know, Vrabel was a concrete Charlie, a guy that did it all, played both sides of the ball. He every touch or every reception he has in his NFL career is for a touchdown. Um, so I think Mike Vrabel might be one of the most underrated players in NFL history, honestly, from a versatility standpoint. And that's why he's such a good coach because he sees everything like a concrete Charlie. And I, I don't mean to harp on this, but that's the reason I know what I know about football because I move positions in the middle of my NFL career. I didn't move when I got to college. I didn't move in high school. I was a defensive lineman my entire life, my entire rookie year, my entire second season until they moved me. I was a nose tackle three technique. So it, when you look at the game like that and from that perspective, it gives you a very unique 
opportunity to teach it. So full circle here, Vrabel sees it like I see it, and he's taking advantage of it because there are certain pockets in the game where if you see something, boom, it's about to happen. And, uh, you know, he can call plays the same way I can call plays, I bet. Uh, I love the big nuts. I love laying them out there and and showing your team you're here to win, especially against the defending chance at home. Um, It's one of the things that makes me love a guy like Mike Vrabel and what he's brought to the table in Tennessee. I think that that's a good football team, and they need to rally around Marcus Mariota and and keep rolling. Philadelphia's got some soul-searching to do, but I do think that they'll be in the playoffs and and be there at the end and have somebody that you're going to have to contend with uh, down the road. So... We'll see what happens there. Uh, the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Personally, I could give an absolute shit about the game. Um, Earl Thomas breaks his leg. You know, it's he flips off the sideline on the way back to the locker room, and I don't blame him. I know that there's a lot of folks out there that don't understand, you know, value and compensation, and, you know, they're mad at him because he had a four-year, $40 million contract, and they think he's spoiled and entitled. But if you look at it and equate it as what is his value compared to what they're making, he's they're stealing Earl Thomas. He's a six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, should be a two-time Super Bowl champion if, if they could just run beast mode on the one-yard line. Um Earl Thomas breaking his leg like this is absolutely terrible. I felt so bad for 29, regardless how much change he has in the fucking bank. Regardless how much bread he's stacked, I still feel bad for him because his earning potential down the road is compromised. And this is why NFL players need guaranteed contracts. And I'm praying to God that at the new CBA, they get medical benefits and guaranteed money. And I don't care if all the contracts are one or two years after that. At least it's guaranteed and you're getting your fucking money. And I understand that it's going to be hard to do, but they can do it. If the 1% cares about the bottom of the roster, they will get it done. If the 1% only cares about the top of the roster, they'll only get guaranteed contracts for 20% of the team or some shit. And that's not what we need. Le'Veon Bell's tweeting in the middle of the game. You know, Bobby Wagner puts out this post like, you know, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. I'd be pissed if I was Earl Thomas. That's what Wagner said. I agree with him. And then Le'Veon Bell chimes in and says, I'll be the bad guy for us all. Le'Veon, I know you're going to come back week seven after the bye so you can get your movie check and your credited season. Good for you. You need to get your money, bro. And I, I, hope that you're, I hope you don't get hurt when you come back. I hope everything's copacetic because you know damn well they're going to use this injury against Earl Thomas in negotiations. Oh, he's injury prone, blah, 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 blah. Well, it, it, everyone's injury prone. Rex Ryan was saying it. It's a 100% injury risk in the National Football League. 100%. So, in my opinion, guys should be getting paid left and right. They shouldn't have to fight for for the scraps off the table from the owners. And I understand they make a lot of money. But retrospectively, folks, they really don't compared to how much the league makes. The players have got to do a better job at the CBA negotiating. And they've got to put their foot down and understand that People are not going to watch scab football. They'll watch it for a week or two, but they'll be clamoring for the superstars back quick. So if you want guaranteed money and you actually want to be an equal partner with the owners, put your foot down. Stop playing. When the new CBA comes up, you know, hold the hammer and swing that shit with force. Get somebody you know, up there in DeMora Smith's ear and tell him to stop being a pussy and represent the players correctly. 
As a member of the union, it's embarrassing having that guy as our representative. He is terrible. I, I knew, he's neutered, trying to do the job with one hand tied behind his back neutered. And that's impossible to do in this game, especially with all those owners and all that, all those old you know, white guy opinions because all the owners are old white guys, essentially, with the exception of like Jed York. So with, with all those opinions out there and you got to fight those 32 and all that bread, you better get united. And I, I really hope the players do. And the Earl Thomas and Le'Veon Bell situations, hopefully it unites the players. And there's more guys that are sitting out and demanding that they get taken care of and compensated correctly before they go out and risk life and limb to play a game. You know, if the, if the franchises are going to constantly preach family at the players, family this, family that, They've got to act like it, and you don't leave your family out in the fucking rain with no health insurance. You don't leave guys that have that have bled for your game out in the, out in the cold and the rain with no benefits and, and no you know no way to get healthy. You don't do that. If you have the ability to help people and you don't do it, you're a coward. And that's Roger Goodell. I call you out, Demora Smith. I call you out. It's time to do something other than just change the roughing the passer rule. It's time to look at CBD as a medicine, seriously, as a medicine for, for NFL players. Be the point of the spear there. Go out and, and advocate for it and change the way that it's done. Stop giving everybody Vicodin and Percocet and Oxycontin and Tramadol and Psychobenzadrine and all this other bullshit. Stop sticking them with needles. St- be the, the point of the spear in that regard. Be the point of the spear in, you know, in, in, in changing the way that <clears throat> the, the the players are compensated. Go out and advocate for the player. The best thing that Seattle could do right now is re-sign Earl Thomas to a huge deal. But they won't because the NFL allows them to treat their players like shit. Even though they're paid, when you look at the big picture, they're not paid up to the, the right number and cap. And that's a fact. So guys should be getting getting paid more. The salary cap should be higher. They should have more money to work with because they have enough. All they're doing right now is lining the pockets of the owners, and they're sitting back and just, you know, if we win, cool. If we lose, cool. The stadium's still sold out, and guys are, guys are out there crushing each other. So, you know, it is what it is. They're changing the rules left and right before each season, why the fuck can't they change some of the stipulations in the CBA? Why can't they amend some of the restrictions? Why can't they get into a room and change some of the concrete problems in the NFL rather than just trying to blindfold everybody with high-scoring football games and roughing the passer penalties? So ho- hopefully that the Le'Veon Bell, the Earl Thomas situation, him being hurt, you know, the holdouts and all the talk about you know, Le'Veon wanting to be compensated fairly for the amount of work he's doing, so on and so forth. Hopefully it gets the NFL to the table at the new CBA hearings in a couple of years and, and the players can swing a big fucking hammer. But I'm sure that the players union will show up with Demora Smith and get ran over and they'll just accept what the first offer the owners put out there, be like, oh, thank you very much, sir. And and that'll be that. Hopefully not, but that's how I feel. Um Going to the end of this, Cleveland at the Raiders. Um, I'm pretty perturbed with the refs from the Monday night game. I thought that that was a shit show, honestly, especially the delay game, which we'll talk about. Cleveland got absolutely hosed. Not only did they get hosed on a spot late in the game, which 
I've never seen the NFL actually change a spot on the field. I was stunned. But they had a strip sack on David Carr that the fucking ref called from 30 yards away right when Carr got touched and the ball was out. And it's a dead ball right when he blows his whistle. And it's a strip sack, and they pick it up, and he's running in for a touchdown. If he beats one guy, he scores, and he's got a blocker. And the game is over. Cleveland's got their second victory, and it's victory Monday on the way back to Cleveland. The turds survive. But no, Oakland's a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Well, shit. I guess if the refs want to influence the game, they can, oh, they can change a spot. Oh, they can give the ball back to Oakland when it was a clear fumble because they're the refs and they have the power to do it. This is why I consistently harp on the fact that I think there's there's shady shit going on in the NFL. If you want to, if you're in the fucking mob and you want to go get one of these refs, you know, one of them's got a fucking blow habit, or one of them loves hookers, or some other bullshit. You know, whatever problem you can find with this guy, if one of the refs has a, has something that can be used against them, why wouldn't it be used against them at this point? The world's cynical as shit. You know what's happening. So if you want to influence a betting line and, and you, there's a bunch of money on Cleveland and Oakland and Vegas and it's two and a half points and all of a sudden Cleveland goes up to win the game and everybody's going to lose all this change, well, shit, I guess we can just call the play dead. And give the ball back to Oakland, and then we'll we'll change a spot too, and give Oakland the ball uh, twice. Twice they gave the Raiders the ball, so they could go win the game. I just find it funny that Oakland ended up winning, and they happen to be two and a half point dogs, or ha- happen to be two and a half point favorites at home. I'm just saying they were about to lose, and the refs essentially changed the outcome of the fucking game, just like they did at Green Bay with Minnesota, you know, just like they did in the Monday night game with the Broncos and the Chiefs, not calling the the delay a game an obvious delay a game situation. Obviously. It's not even it's not even arguable. The fucking refs are telling Brandon Marshall at the end of the game that they blew the call on the field. So if you want me to take the NFL seriously, National Football League, Roger Goodell, could you get your refs under control? The integrity of your game is at stake. I have a, I, I, look, I'm one of these conspiracy theorists out here, and I hate that conspiracy theory shit. I'm one of these truth people out here that can see, and I only have one fucking eye, and I can see. I can see that the refs are terrible. I can see that you could probably influence a game. You might be able to throw a game. You might be able to tilt a game in your favor if you've got the change in the influence and a ref in your pocket. And I hate the fact that I think like this, but damn it, every single week a ref is influencing a game. Last night's game was influenced by the refs. It should not be the Chiefs and the Broncos and the refs all playing on Monday Night Football. It shouldn't be the Browns, the Raiders, and the refs at Oakland Alameda Coliseum playing on Sunday afternoon. It shouldn't be the, the, the Vikings, the Packers, and the fucking refs playing at Lambeau two weeks ago. That's the way it shouldn't be like that, but it is now. So the National Football League really needs to get their head out of their ass and figure out if the refs are in charge of the game or if we're letting players play because right now the refs are influencing the shit out of a lot of these football games and it just happened to all they all happen to be really close and they all happen to swing a certain way and you know it just it messes with people in the betting world and i seem to think that you could really fuck with one of these refs if you wanted to but that's neither here nor there all right so that was your NFL wrap-up brought to you by NeuroXPF.com. Make sure you go on the website if you want to get any of the amazing CBD-based products. All THC-free CBD-based products at, at NeuroXPF.com. 
Use the promo code 6015015. You'll get a 15% discount. And that was your NFL wrap brought to you by NeuroXPF.com. All right, Bronco time. Um, oh, man. Where should I start? Number one. Garrett Bowles was terrible. And in games like this against hated rivals where everybody knows each other so well and every single play is so paramount, when you're getting beat for sacks and pressures and you're getting obvious holding penalties where you're DDTing Justin Houston, the same stupid shit you did last week, you did it again this week, you did it to Terrell Suggs last week, you did it to Houston this week, I guess it's who you are. When your run game steps are consistently compromised and terrible and you can't run the ball left, uh, consequently, they hammered the fucking ball right. From Ron Leary over, the offensive line's really good. Uh, you know, Valdir went down last night with a knee. Billy Turner stepped in and played his ass off. 7-7 played his ass off. Connor McGovern played his ass off. I mean, they were demolishing people on the right side of that offensive line. I don't know why they didn't keep fucking hammering the ball all night. I would have never stopped handing it off. At one point, Freeman or Lindsey, one of the two, had a nine-yard average on carry. They were running power right. They were running tight zone right. They are running outside zone right. They ran a gator play right to score with Freeman. They were killing people running to the right. I don't even know why you'd ever run left because Garrett Bowles isn't effective at the point of attack, and Ron Leary can only be so effective with a totally ineffective left tackle next to him. It, it almost hampers the ability for Ron to be a pit bull and move people off the point. Garrett Bowles has got to figure his shit out. At the end of the game, he was struggling horrifically too. I don't know why you'd ever run a game against Bulls. Just overload the other four and play one-on-one against 72 the whole game, and you'll win 7 out of 10. And you'll get a holding penalty every four or five plays. The thing that pisses me off the most about this whole situation with 72 is it's fixable. It's fixable. His hands around his waist, the repetitive set pattern is fixable. The, the lack of independent hand play, the lack of an inside strong hand, uh, the lack of the, the lateral movement off the inside of his feet and having good stagger, not understanding the pass rush angles like we talked about last week on, on the 6-0 top six at bsndenver.com that we'll do again this week. It'll be up tomorrow when I get done with it. The tape isn't posted until Wednesday morning. At, they played last night. It, 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 it's hard to watch, and it's... It's killing me because the Broncos have a tackle coach in Chris Schlosser and a guard center coach in, in Kugler. And I know damn well that they are spending so much time with Garrett Bowles on a daily basis trying to fix this shit. And he goes out on, on Monday night and totally reverts. Reverts terribly. The, the play where he stepped inside, drop-stepped his left foot back, and Houston ran up the field and they got a holding penalty on him. Bro, what the fuck are you doing? It's a play-action look. It's supposed to be the easiest block in the book. You need to be aggressive at him when you go after him to sell the run. Just throw your shoulders back. Stay on the inside of your feet. Keep your keep your hands and your shoulders active so you can you can play with him. Don't grab him, turn and run. Strike him and move your feet. Be a boxer and a basketball player at the same time. Think about the quarterback being the 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 bucket and don't let him cross you over and get to the post or or get to the bucket. Keep him away from the fucking bucket. That's the quarterback. And Bulls can't do it. He doesn't understand the angles, and he's not good with his hands, and he's repetitive. And if you're repetitive in this league, you die. Justin Houston ate him alive, 
And in the middle of the game, it wasn't as apparent, but the beginning of the game and the end of the game, it was wildly apparent. And it, it can't continue like this. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm interested to see what happens with Valdir, but I think you may have to figure out how who to put at left tackle uh, just to send a message to Bowles, maybe bench him this week and send a message and say, look, if you don't improve, then we can't play you because you're getting us beat. Billy Turner played his absolute ass off at right tackle for the second week in a row. He deserves more run, period. And the frustration that I feel, I can only imagine how the offensive line and Case and everybody feels knowing that they are literally one player away. If Valdir's healthy, he needs to go play left tackle. They need to put Billy Turner at right tackle. They need to fucking roll. I wouldn't even dress Garrett next week. I would dress Elijah Wilkinson. I wouldn't dress Garrett Bowles. Dress, dress Elijah and let Garrett stand there on the sideline and, and street clothes and think about what he needs to do to improve as a pro. That will send a fucking message. If he walks out there and starts next week against the Jets, what is that? What? Why? What message are you sending? That you can continuously be shitty and put us in bad situations and get us beat? We can never slide away from our left tackle ever. Because you refuse to improve, you refuse to apply the coaching, and you refuse to help yourself, and we're just going to keep starting him? Really? That's not that's not a recipe for success for a head coach in Vance Joseph who's on a hot seat. It's not a recipe for success for a team who's trying to find themselves offensively and I think can run the football effectively. They can hammer the fucking rock in a mile high. I don't know why they didn't run the ball 40 times last night. Too many throws. So 72, you got to get your shit together, bro. Please. You got to get it together. Um, all that said, the run game, you know, Ron Leary, Matt Paradis, Connor McGovern, Billy Turner, Hireman, uh, Matt Lacoste, and Janovich. God damn, the human hammer that is Andy Janovich. Freeman and Lindsey. Men, hats off. The run game was electric. You guys were hammering the fucking rock. There's obviously been a mindset change there. So to the right yesterday, I don't know what the yards per carry were, but they were high. And I'm going to focus a lot on the run game in, in the 6-0 top six presented by BSNDenver.com when we do it because of the fact that Ron and Billy were just murdering Bailey and the three techniques and four techniques off the ball. The the communication patterns that you saw when Kansas City stemmed, when they went from odd to bear, when they went from bear to over, the communication pattern on the right side, how everybody's on the same page and really working hip to hip to the second level and open up massive seams in the run game. And it opened up the play-action game huge during the, during the football game, and there were massive windows for Keenum. Keenum's got to calm down a little bit and stop overthrowing everybody, and we'll talk about the Demarius play in a little bit. But I, I'm very, very, very happy about the run game, and I think that they should hang their hat on it a little bit more. I don't have a problem with a Team Tebow offense. I don't care if it's boring. I don't care if we throw the ball 15, 20 times a game, as long as we can dominate the line of scrimmage, and I think we can. I think we may have the best point of attack fullback in football, and Janovich, the human hammer. Uh, Connor McGovern is playing at an unbelievably high level in the run game. Billy Turner was at a high level in the run game yesterday, dominating. Paradis is, might be the highest graded center in football right now, and honestly, you better pay the Cowboy or he's going to walk, and it'll probably end up at a fucking rival like Kansas City, unfortunately. Um and Ron Leary, I thought Ron was excellent last night. He brought his A game. He was nasty. He was at the point of attack on pulls. He was killing 
three techniques on the left side. Unfortunately, the left tackle was getting throttled in the run game again. Doesn't understand the concept of inside strong hand and vertical movement in the zone in the zone running game. But they can fix it. It's just a matter of will seventy two fix it. I'd like to see Valdir at left tackle if he's healthy moving forward. And if not, maybe put Wilkinson at right tackle and start Billy Turner at left and just roll. Dress Sam Jones and sit Valdir and Bowles and Valdir get healthy and, and Bowles sit there and fucking watch. And I know that's risky, but it, so is parading 72 out there all the time and just repeating you know the same consistent pattern of failure with him. That's the definition of insanity. Um, so the, the rest of the offensive line of Janovich hats off. Um, going away from the Bronco offense to Pat Mahomes. I think it's pretty apparent that Pat Mahomes is the wearband warrior of the weekend. So check out wearbands.com. Um, use the promo code 6020. It is an unbelievable tool for lateral athletes. Anybody that pushes off the inside of their foot, football, boxing, fighting, uh, extreme sports, snowboarding and skiing, hockey, baseball, everything, soccer, everything. I had one of my uh, college linemen, one of my guys going to college in here this morning in a wear band system. You can check them out on, you know, on, on Instagram at 60strength, on Twitter at 60strength. Uh, so check out wearbands.com. The Wearbands Warrior of the Weekend goes to Pat Mahomes. And I hate to say it, but Cliff Kingsbury was right. We had him on. Uh, last week to talk about this game, you know, Coach Kingsbury was a teammate of mine. I played against him in college. He was a teammate of mine with the Jets back in the day. And then he ended up, or he's the head coach now at Texas Tech, and he was the quarterback coach for Houston when Case was there all four years. And he was the co- the head coach for Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech the whole time he was there. So he had a vested interest in the game last night. We were texting back and forth in the ball game. And Coach Kingsbury was like, yeah, this kid is special, and he is. And I thought Keenan played okay. Uh, the the missed throw to Demarius at the end of the game is going to haunt him in his dreams for the rest of his life. Um, it was awful to watch that not happen because if that would have been complete, he walks into the end zone and Denver is, has a walk-off win and it's victory fucking Tuesday and everybody's pumped and it, it would just be a much different atmosphere. So I still think that the opportunities are there for Denver, but you can't miss that throw. Consequently, Mahomes didn't. He didn't miss any real throw. He, you know, he had a couple in the dirt in the middle of the game, but at nut clipping time, when they brought the shears out and they were like, okay, it's castration time, he stood up. And I, I tweeted this last night at BSN McChesney Unchained. That's the Twitter handle for uh, McChesney Unchained here on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Make sure you follow the show. I tweeted out that, I think Mahomes, 15, is going to be a thorn in the side of the Broncos the same way that Elway was a thorn in the side of the Chiefs for all those years. That's what we're. That's what Kansas City got in Pat Mahomes. He's a revolutionary player. I hope he stays healthy because I don't want rivals to get hurt. I want to beat them at their top. And if Kansas City went out and got the next – Big thing at the quarterback position, and Andy Reid is grooming him, and Eric Bieniemy, the OC, is allowing him to just run with it and, and be him, and they're more forming around what 15 can do rather than asking 15 to conform to a system. They're, they're good, and they're going to continue to be good, and I know that they tore up the NFL. They tore it up for the first three weeks of the season, but last night and what Mahomes was able to do under pressure in a super volatile uh, atmosphere – I mean, you'd think Pittsburgh and Heinz Field is volatile. They went in there and put up 28 points like nothing. They were down in Denver, and he had to come back. He's down 10 points in the fourth quarter on the road in mile high, 
And it's not supposed to happen like that. Consequently, that's what he did last year in the irrelevant game. He brought Kansas City back, and they beat us on a field goal. So that's the second time in two starts in Mile High where Mahomes has walked in and led his team to victory in the fourth quarter. That sucks. That's not what you want to see if you're a Bronco fan. He was incredible. The throws on the run, on point, unbelievable. I mean, you're not supposed to be able to do that. You're not supposed to be able to run and throw across your body across the field and be successful. But he's got such zip on the ball. It gets there so fast, it doesn't matter. It's bam, it's there. And he's so strong-armed that he can just fit it into any hole. And he's smart, too. He understands what he's looking at. Like you could, He was changing protections last night all over the place. He was changing the run plays. He was changing routes. He had more command of Kansas City's offense through four starts than Case Keenum has command over the Broncos' offense through four, plus all the years Case has been playing in the NFL. So I just think Mahomes is a future budding superstar in this league, and there's, it's not surprising he's the Warbands Warrior of the Weekend here, and I think he's going to be an absolutely special player in this league for years to come and a thorn in the side of the Broncos. I posted this on my Instagram account, at 6-0-Strength, but the play where Vaughn chases him down on the backside, has him wrapped up, and Mahomes switches the hands of the ball to his left hand and throws it down the field for a first down was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Not only does he do that, but he's got the best defensive player in football hanging off of him. He outran Shane Ray on two sacks. He broke a Shaq Barrett sack. I mean, Derek Wolf had him dead to rights a couple of times and couldn't get him down. As an ex-defensive lineman that's rushed the passer a little bit in my life, especially in college, there's when we played Vince Young in college, it was a huge pain in the ass. We could never get to him. He could always outrun you. When we played Brad Smith in college, he was a huge pain in the ass. We got to him every now and then, but he was very elusive and, and you know, hard to deal with. Eric Crouch, pussy that we hit in the mouth. Fuck him. Um guys that are elusive and can also throw the rock, they're really, really hard to deal with, i.e. John Elway, i.e. Steve Young, i.e. Brett Favre, i.e. Pat Mahomes. Now, 15 special, and what we saw last night was special, and I hate the fact that it happened, but damn it, that was a hell of a football game, and the Broncos had their chances. You can only have so many missed opportunities, and if I'm Joe Woods and Vance Joseph – I like the fact that we're man coverage and aggressive, but on third and 20-something, second and 20-something, I'd rather play soft zone like Winton was saying and rally and tackle, not rush four and have everybody's back turned and then play scramble drill. I must—I was sitting there last night screaming at the TV, has anybody ever played scramble drill on this team in their life? I mean, the defensive linemen aren't chasing at angles. They don't have their proper hand up when they're chasing the quarterback to to block his frame of view. They're not screaming past. They're not running at the proper angle to catch him. The secondary is in trail position the whole time, and therefore everybody breaks their routes off and starts coming back to the quarterback because they overran their routes knowing that he's going to hold the ball, pat it, and take off. So they, they turn their routes into scramble drill. The receivers do a great job doing it. The, the secondary for the Broncos, although they played well in the second and third quarter, in the fourth quarter they were non-existent. They were getting shredded. When the Broncos needed to step up, up 10 points at home and shut the door on Kansas City, they couldn't do it. And they couldn't do it because Kansas City's good and Mahomes is good and the formation differences and all the crazy motion patterns and 
the flash wrap motion by Tariq Hill that's carrying the safeties in the secondary. They handled all that pretty well throughout the game until the fourth quarter. And also, when they had to start playing the refs and the Chiefs the last series, it didn't work out very well. I mean, if you're the back judge and your only fucking job is to look at the play clock and you screw that up, why are you there? Tell me, what is it that you do here, ref? Again, the Broncos are playing the Chiefs and the refs. Pretty terrible. I'm not one to sit here and, like, be all the refs screwed us. But, God damn, the refs screwed the Browns, the refs screwed the Packers, and the refs just screwed the Broncos. And it's happened before, and it's going to happen again, and it's taken away from the game for me. It should have been third and 28, not third and 23. It's a fucking delay a game. Throw the flag, move him back. Don't just stand there and be like, oh, it was zero. Uh, you can stop the play in the middle of the play in the Oakland game. Why can't you stop the play in the middle of the play in the Kansas City-Denver game? There's no consistency, and that really is pissing me off. Now, the Broncos have plenty of chances to win the game. The defense needs to step up and do a better job closing the door. But you know what? Sometimes Michael Jordan is just going to be Michael Jordan. Sometimes LeBron James is just going to be LeBron James. Sometimes John Elway is just going to be John Elway. Sometimes Tom Brady is just going to be Tom Brady. And you know what? Sometimes Pat Mahomes is just going to go be fucking Pat Mahomes. And that kid's a stud. And get used to it. It's what it is. All that said... I think Denver has a lot to hang their hat on. I don't think that they sh- I think they should be really really pissed off about this, but not upset to the point where it affects them on the road against the Jets. They go from being the last game of the weekend Monday night to the first game of the weekend next Sunday at 11. They kick off at MetLife at 11 o'clock. They need to be ready to go. The Jets got mollywopped by the Jaguars, 31-13. They're trying to figure out their young quarterback situation. This is a get-right game for the Broncos. They need to walk into MetLife and smash the Jets in the mouth the same way that they shut them out last year at Mile High. So it's an opportunity for Denver to go get right on the road. If they allow the Jets to hang around, they'll get beat. Uh, But we will talk about this later in the week on Episode 8 of McChesney Unchained. All right, Um, so disappointing for the Broncos, but still an unbelievably good football game and just an unbelievable atmosphere, and I know that a lot of people are pissed off, but you know what? That's what rivalry games are supposed to be like. They're supposed to be crazy and, you know, up and down and toy with your emotions, and and it's okay. If you don't feel good today, then you're probably a real fan. If you just brushed it off and moved on, you're either an ex-player or – don't give a shit, and that's cool too. Uh, Broncos have the Jets on Sunday, and MetLife will break that down as the week goes on on the next episode of McChesney Unchained. All right, so moving away from the Denver Broncos, um, unfortunate loss uh, when they could have closed the door on Kansas City, but we'll talk about that more on the 6-0 Top 6 at bsndenver.com. The film will be up tomorrow at some point. Uh, my man Andre does a great job with that, and Allie, thank you very much for all your hard work. Uh, so I'm looking forward to breaking down six plays from the Kansas City Denver Mile, uh, the Kansas City Denver Monday Night Contest. Excuse me, and uh, you guys can always remember to check that out at bsndenver.com at the six zero top six, and it'll give you a little breakdown. It's behind the paywall, so you're going to have to subscribe, and it's the best money that you can spend. Trust me. All right, we're going to jump into college football now, and. College football this weekend was a little up and down. I'm not going to say it was great as a whole, but I'm also not going to say it was bad. Um, On episode eight of McChesney Unchained, also, just to give you a heads up, 
We're going to talk with my former coach, Coach Gary Barnett, uh, who's the voice of the Colorado Buffaloes with Mark Johnson, and he's going to join us later in the week uh, to talk about the Buffs and the 4-0 start and the win in Lincoln and beating UCLA the other night in Folsom and what they need to do against Arizona State moving forward. And also talk about the Bus for Life initiative that that they've uh, adopted up there at at CU Boulder to help with mental health and suicide prevention, which hats off to Coach Barnett, Sean Tufts, and Joel Klatt for all that they've done and and what they did on the broadcast the other day for CU-UCLA on Friday night, which was the only game on. I know a lot of people saw it, and it's a good thing. Um, It's something that I feel strongly about, so we're going to have Coach Barnett on later in the week, and we're also going to have... Uh, Fox Sports' own Joel Klatt, an ex-teammate of mine. We were captains together here at CU, and Joel's going to join us uh, on Episode 8 of McChesney Unchained as well to talk about the buffs and college football as a whole and, you know, the the uh, the movement that he's a part of up in Boulder for mental health and suicide prevention. So make sure you log on and check out Episode 8 later in the week. Coach Barnett and Joel Klatt will be our guests talking college football. All right, first off. Um, fuck the NCAA. And, and look, that's what I wrote in my notes, and this is why. Tennessee State, there's a, a name, or there's a player named Cristiano Abercrombie, and he's a linebacker. And he got hurt really bad in their game against Vanderbilt this weekend, and he had emergency surgery. He's in critical condition. He had a, you know, something, a, a problem with his brain. He, he had a head injury, and his brain swelled, and he's in critical. They had to do life-saving emergency surgery. Well, the people at Tennessee State, some of the students or whoever, made a GoFundMe page for the kid and the family to help with the medical expenses and to help with the fact that he's probably going to be fucked up for the rest of his life and is going to need help, unfortunately, and how terrible the situation is. And the NC fucking AA obviously compounds this and makes it, makes it ten times worse by saying that the GoFundMe page that this kid has set up needs to be shut down because it may jeopardize his eligibility. Man, fuck you. Fuck you, NCAA. Jeopardize his eligibility? This kid is fighting for his life in a hospital bed. There are people that are trying to help him with a GoFundMe page, and you have the audacity, the gall, to come out and say they need to take the GoFundMe page down because it may fuck with his eligibility? I am so tired of the NCAA. You are a clown-ass organization, and how fucking dare you do something like this? I, it's amazing to me that the players don't understand the power they have. If you want your movie check, boys, if you want your piece of the pie, if you want your revenue, if you want what you're entitled to, I will more than I will gladly, gladly pay for my class load out of my own pocket if I'm getting paid. I have no problem writing a check. I got a job. If I'm paid for what I for as a player for what I bring in or a piece of it, the way that it should be with these players. They can pay for their own classes and don't need to take electives. And the way that they get it and the way that shit like this stops happening and the way that they are equal partners, the players and the coaches and the NCAA, is stop playing. Lock arms and sit down and stop playing. But it'll never happen because everybody's trying to get theirs. And the control that college football coaches have over the players because the players have no union and no rights. And they're, you know, they're essentially servants. And I understand that they're on scholarship. That's great. If you're a good enough student, you get on scholarship too. And I'll gladly pay for my school if I'm getting paid. Gladly. So I don't want to hear that scholarship argument anymore. Save it. This kind of shit right here, uh, a guy you know, fighting for his life, 
Cristiano Abercrombie from Tennessee State, the linebacker, and the NCAA having the audacity to come out and say that a GoFundMe page for him and his family to help with the to help with the trauma and the effects and everything that's going to happen after this kid wakes up or passes, unfortunately, if that happens, and God forbid. And they have the audacity to say that they need to take the GoFundMe page down because it's an NCAA violation. I hate the NCAA. Go fuck yourself. You're a terrible organization. I cannot believe that you would do some shit like this. And I don't care if you don't like it. This is a grown-ass man show. Deal with it. Stanford and Notre Dame. Um, Really good football game for about two quarters. Notre Dame is real. And I thought Stanford would walk in and out-physical the Irish, and I was wrong. Um, I had a couple guys out there visiting uh, Notre Dame for the weekend. Aiden Akiakea, who's an unbelievable defensive line prospect, only a sophomore at Mullen, who's got like 14, 15 offers without visiting Notre Dame, and he was blown away by the atmosphere. Uh, They really took it to Stanford, and I think that Notre Dame might be legit a legit uh, playoff team. They've beaten two ranked opponents. They mopped up Michigan on national TV. They mopped up Stanford on national TV. Uh, they're a hard-nosed, no-bullshit team. Brian Kelly is is viewed as this finesse coach, but he's putting out dog linemen, and he's recruiting dog linemen, and they run the ball down people's throat. And if you're going to go out physical Stanford, that says something to me because Stanford's the most physical football team in the Pac-12. So... With the exception of Washington and Colorado, and you can put Stanford and, and Oregon in there, the hopes of the Pac-12 rest on those four teams. Colorado's the only undefeated in the Pac-12. I understand that they have a combined record of wins of 1-16, and and they haven't really played a good opponent, but they played the schedule they played in their 4-0, and that's all you can ask. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, when you look at Stanford and Notre Dame, Stanford just got – outpunched and Notre Dame kept just hammering them and there may be an SEC team that can stand up and stop them but the offensive line from Notre Dame was the best in football last year and I think they're the best in football this year and I don't know what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint there oh yeah I do they're recruiting this room we've got multiple offers out to Notre Dame or multiple offers in this room to Notre Dame and more coming and they recruit the best of the best, and it's obviously working. So Notre Dame's real. Uh, I hate to say it, but they are. Uh, the Penn State-Ohio State game was absolutely nuts, dude. Uh, another one-point victory by Ohio State. Penn State's just got to be sick. Uh, I love Trace McSorley. I think he's going to be a great pro. Uh, I'd love to see him in Denver, honestly. I thought he played his absolute ass off. Uh, James Franklin... You know, came out afterwards and was like, look, it's the little details. It's little tiny things. It's one point last year and one point this year. And, yeah, that may be. Maybe. You know, they had the lead. They had a 10-point lead in Happy Valley. you got to close the door on Ohio State. You can't, you know, play back or just blitz all out. That's all they were doing. They had no middle ground defensive calls. They are either playing back and allowing everything underneath and then missing tackles and allowing huge plays, or blitzing the house and playing three or four men back and being one-on-one and missing tackles and allowing big plays. So there's got to be some middle ground there, very similar to what we saw from Denver when they couldn't stop Kansas City and they're playing man coverage. Well, Penn State needed to change things up in order to stop Ohio State in that regard as well. Haskins from Ohio State is real. That kid's got a cannon. He's going to be a future first-rounder. He seems very humble and hungry to me. And it didn't seem like 110,000 screaming – Penn State crazies really affected them that much. Uh, we are Penn lose. Um, 
that sucks, but it is what it is. Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country for a reason. They're hard out, and you got to be perfect to beat them. And Penn State has been almost perfect two years in a row. So that's turned into a nice little rivalry game. I know that my boy John Lust, who's a Penn State diehard, was real pissed off. And I know my boy Andrew Fogros, who's an Ohio State diehard, is talking some mad shit right now. So uh, a hell of a football game, but, you know, We'll see what happens moving forward there in the East. Penn State's behind the eight ball. Ohio State seems to have the Big Ten uh, by the short and curlies. That Michigan-Ohio State game at the end of the year is going to be awesome if Michigan can still or keep winning out. All right, so we'll wrap up McChesney Unchanged here on the BSN Denver Podcast Network uh, talking about your Colorado Buffaloes. I went up to the game on Friday night. I thought it was an incredible atmosphere. The blackout was awesome. Uh, all the All the – Effort and work put into the mental health part of it by Rick George and Sean Tuss and Joel Klatt and Coach Barnett. Hats off, gentlemen. You are true leaders and an inspiration, and and I, I love seeing it. Uh, we need more men like you out there in this community and in the Buff community taking care of of the ex-players and, and guys. And it, It's a real problem. We're losing Ryan Johannemeyer to Drew Walrus to Rashawn Salam to Brian Turner to Clint Oldeberg, or excuse me, to uh, – to, to Gabe Oldeberg, to Pete Friedrich, to, you know, tons of friends of mine that have taken their own life at the University of Colorado when I was there. And then afterwards, it's an epidemic, and it's got to stop. And I hats off to Coach Barnett, to Joel Klatt, Sean Tufts, Rick George, and all of us for life to the work they're putting in. Keep it up. Uh, we're going to have Coach Barnett and Joel Klatt on the show on Episode 8 later in the week, so remember to tune in for that. Um, all right, Buffs, Bruins. Number one, the Bruins are not a good football team. And Colorado did to them what good football teams do to bad football teams, which is double them up. Uh, 38-16 to double up score, and I love it. Uh, They went out and gave it to them. And they were very physical on defense, flying around, a lot of different guys making plays. Drew Lewis was all over the damn field. Landman was all over the damn field. But offensively, the story is Steven Montez. He's leading the country in completion percentage. He's like 91 for 120. He's playing clean, effective football, and that's what the NFL is about, and people have got to be looking at him as a first-rounder right now. And if he continues to have this kind of progression as the year goes on, he's got to strike while the iron's hot and get out of town. you got to go, bro. If he's first-team All-Pac-12 and CU is a 10- or 11-win team, which they easily could be, you got to strike while the iron's hot and get out of town and go get your, go get your money. Um, that's a little bit down the road, and they've got a big game against Arizona State this weekend. Uh, Arizona State, Colorado is always a good game. I mean, it's it, it's always going to be a dogfight. Next week, uh, Jake the Snake Plumber is going to join us here on McChesney Unchained, so we'll have him on to talk about CU and Arizona State and the Broncos and the Jet game and everything. So that'll be on Episode 9 of McChesney Unchained next week. Um I think that the Buffs showed a lot on tape that Arizona State's going to have to deal with. But at the same time, Arizona State is an extremely physical football team that can just hammer you up front. They beat a ranked Michigan State home uh, team on at home. They haven't won on the road yet. They lost at Seattle by seven. And I thought that they played toe-to-toe with Washington the whole game, which tells me that they're pretty fucking good, and I really hope that CU doesn't underestimate the the Sun Devils or we will get our ass kicked on Saturday. Um, and then they, they lost at San Diego State. They lost to San Diego State at home last year. Sam Jones, a you know, member of the Dungeon family here, guard for the Broncos, guy that I've been training since he was 15 years old, trained for the Combine. He's a Sun Devil. Uh, went to 
Arizona State out of the, out of the six zero strength program, and and he walked the bridge. Uh, and we, we were talking about it, and it's just a thing. San Diego State's a, a, a thorn in the, the side of the, of the Sun Devils, so they couldn't get over the hump last year. They couldn't get over them this year, and it is what it is. I don't want Buff fans to sit back and act like this is going to be a cakewalk. I know that CU's a three-point favorite. At least that's what I saw the line was the last time it was up. Arizona State is fucking good, and Herm Edwards has got them rolling, and they are physical, and they look like a pro football team from a formation standpoint and from an execution standpoint. They are not beating themselves defensively anymore. This isn't the all-out blitz everybody and see where you land Todd Graham defense. This is a very uh, disciplined defense that looks like it's coached by pros, and consequently it is. The linebackers coach is Antonio Pierce. You know, Kevin Mawai is is an offensive assistant who's a Hall of Famer. Dave Christensen, who was the Wyoming off uh, head coach, is the offensive line coach, and he, you know, there's a lot of guys in at six zero with offers from Arizona State. This is a huge game, so you know, it, when you when you look at what CU did to UCLA, it it's nice, and I like the fact that they kicked the shit out of them. But I'm also looking at this as CSU is not a very good football team. Mopped them. Nebraska is not a very good football team. We didn't know that at the time, and they sure did play hard in that opener. So I don't know what happened to Nebraska, but it is what it is. New Hampshire is not a good football team. UCLA is not a good football team. So I'm interested to see if if the Buffs are a flash in the pan 4-0 or if they can go out against a team that's 3-2, and that has a loss on the road in Seattle by 7, which is a damn hard place to play and could have won that game. And they've had Washington's number recently. And then they went and lost to San Diego State, who puts out pros left and right and is a really good team and won the Mountain West. So they've lost to two good football teams, and they've beaten a ranked Michigan State team at home, and they absolutely annihilated Oregon State on the ground with over 400 yards rushing. So Arizona State is not a bunch of chumps. I don't want everybody to just sit back and go, yeah, we smashed UCLA. They're rebuilding. They don't know what they have in Chip Kelly yet. They don't know if Chip Kelly at Oregon was, you know, lucky or not. I I think that the Buffs have done everything they can through the first four games. All right? I'm going to talk to Coach Barnett and Joel Clad about this on Episodes uh, 8 of McChesney Unchained a lot more as we go uh, and and preview uh, the weekend's games and talk to them later in the week on McChesney Unchained. But – the UCLA game, they did what they needed to do. They kicked the shit out of a bad football team. Now the meat of the schedule starts. You got ASU, winning football team. You have USC, a, a team with a winning record who's had up and downs, but they've lost to good teams. You got Arizona down the road. They're struggling, but they've still got Mac who tore us up last year. Washington State's a bull team. Cal's a bull team that was just ranked. Uh, Utah is going to be a bull team. So now the meat of the Pac-12 schedule comes up, and we're going to see what the what the buffs are made of real quick. So, again, we'll see. Uh, big thanks to our uh, sponsors here, NeuroXPF.com and WearBands.com. Check out both. Uh, and type in promo code 6015 for Neural Armor and 6020 for WearBands and get 15 and 20% off respectively. My name is Matt McChesney, and this is McChesney Unchained, the seventh episode on BSS, bsndenver.com, uh, podcast network. Make sure you download the iTunes application or whatever your podcast uh, platform is. Subscribe to the show, McChesney Unchained, and it'll give you every new episode as they come up. 
My name is Matt McChesney, coming to you from 6-0 Studios here at 6-0 Strength and Fitness. Thanks for listening, folks. We are out.